I'm Heidi Bragg, and this is Life, Cancer, Etc. My goal with this podcast is to connect you with stories and resources that help you feel happier, more resilient, and less stressed, especially when you're going through hard times. All right, today my guest is Dr. Phil Spies. Dr. Spies is a genitourinary oncologist and the assistant chief of surgical services at Moffitt Cancer Center, where I was treated, and he's one of my doctors, full disclosure. He's uh, also a full professor of oncology and urology at the University of South Florida's Morsani's College of Medicine, and he's just an all-around good guy, so we like him. That's why I want to talk to him today. And the neat thing, the funny thing to me is I, last time I was in for a procedure, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. Um, he told me he was doing research into Lynch syndrome, which is the genetic abnormality, chromosomal aberration or whatever we want to call it that I have. So first I'm going to ask Dr. Spies to just kind of um, introduce himself, tell a story a little bit, and then we'll, we'll talk about why he chose medicine, oncology, and Lynch specifically to study. So, hey. Hey, Heidi. Great, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Congratulations for putting this together. And uh, yeah, very, very excited to speak to you today. About myself, well, I'm privileged to take care of awesome patients like someone I know, number one, but uh, born and raised in Montreal, Canada. So I'm a Canuck at heart and uh, moved to Tampa, Florida after doing my urology training in Canada uh, and then went to MD Anderson, Texas, did three years uh, a fellowship there, two years in the lab, one year surgical training. And then I've been here now for 14 years. Really? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm officially an American citizen, a campaignian, I guess is what they call us. And uh, love it here. Moffitt's a wonderful place. And mm-hmm. uh, my wife is here with my two children who are also a little Americans and uh, just an awesome place to, to live and work. That's awesome. And you guys will now... Because I, I work with friends who are Canadian, too, and they're trying to get back to Toronto. And so it's neat because now they're opening things up so you guys can see family and stuff. Yeah, I just found out, like, as you know, last night. So we've been planning, hopefully, to go see mom and dad. My parents, uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen them like 16, 17 months, a year and a half. So we are planning to going home and taking the kids with us and uh, a lot of uh, lost time there. So looking excited to, to go back and see the folks and the family. And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and they want to see the grandkids, let's be honest. I'll be honest, yeah, they probably want to see me for about 10 minutes and the rest of the time will be grandkids. And if I give them the grandkids, I think me and my wife probably have some chill time coming our way. That's probably true. Okay, um, so growing up, or how did you decide to go into medicine, first of all, and then why did you choose oncology specifically? So medicine, interesting, you know, I always loved sciences, so I knew I wanted to go in a scientific-related field. English and, and, and arts was never my thing. Um, so, okay, I pause. Yeah. This said by somebody that when he has to mark me for surgery, it's always this elaborate looking tattoo on my abdomen. I find that really funny because you do more than just sign. Like it's always looking kind of like a like a Maori um, tattoo or moko or something. I'm still, I'm still practicing my artistic skills, as you can tell. There were a lot of remedial work required. Jeez. Um, so yes, so science was what I liked. And, uh, you know, the more I did biology and I found out about human physiology, I found it really fascinating. And then I volunteer in hospitals 
did that for several years and did research through that. And I found out more and more that that was really what I was interested in. And uh, really, when I sort of decided on, on specialties, I, I love surgery. I love the ability to help people directly through, you know, direct actions. And uh, oncology was just when I was training, I found that the oncologists were able to really have this, the, the greatest impact on patients and families. Mm-hmm. And uh, although it can be challenging, not with the hours, but what you're dealing with on a day in and day out basis, I found that it was very rewarding. And that's when I decided I wanted to go do a fellowship and uh, and really train and, and get that expertise and, and really uh, dedicate my life to helping others. No, and he's like, and the thing is with particularly, you're not just blowing smoke. Like I've seen you do that and you're always very personable. You're very um, straightforward. Like when I first got diagnosed with the urothelial cancer. So that's been about a year and a half ago. Like, this is probably what we have to do. This is what it means. This is a slow, slow growing. I remember you used the term lazy cancer, which was very reassuring after the other ones I'd had, you know, and, and it was just like, okay, here's what the deal is. Here's how we handle the situation. Here's our plan. Let's go. And we have, and you know, things have actually turned out great. Yeah, no, I agree. I, you know, I appreciate it. I I like to have a very honest and direct uh, relationship and truthfully taking care of patients like you're are easy. You're just so, you know, personable, easy to speak to. And snarky. And it's, yeah, not sugarcoating, but it makes it that much more enjoyable. (laughs) You establish a relationship over years. Yeah. it's one of the greatest, honestly, things is is, is that is is really feeling like uh, you're able to sort of have that relationship with your patients and uh, I tell people all the time. You know, I personally think there is no role for anyone to do the medical field if you don't want to work with people. There's many other things you can do in your sure. life, and uh, if you don't enjoy that part of it or you don't feel fulfillment with that, then uh, then it really isn't. And uh, you know. Just having gone to the hospital, just going for a physical checkup, you know, in a blue moon, as a typical doctor, I, I really do that. But I would say that uh, you see the difference uh, a, a good physician can have on on your care and mm-hmm. how, a positive outlook it can it can ultimately do. Well, and I feel like with you, with Dr. Broll, Dr. Ngawi, with my people, I call them my people, with my people, we talk as people, like I, I come to you for your expertise, but I never feel treated like um, a, a body without a brain type of thing. It's 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 a very collaborative relationship, and I love that. Yeah, you, you know, you nailed it. Really, to me, I, I I don't ever think the doctors should have a role in telling patients what they should have done. You you know, you discuss the options, discuss the pros and cons. It's a personal choice. No one could ever decide for you. This is your body. This is. It's the most sacred thing that you own and that you have privileges over. So I, I agree. I think that's that really to me is is the critical role of a physician, of a surgeon, of any doctor or any healthcare person is to really work and, and really be very respectful of, of the beliefs and 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 really what people are seeking out of their care. Yeah, it, and it, it, I think it makes a difference personally. I think it makes a huge difference in outcomes too, because you're like you're you know you're in agent acting, not an object being acted upon. It's really true. Okay. So tell me about, can you describe what Lynch is and then why you've now, why you're putting more focus on studying that? So thanks. Thanks for asking that. Cause it's definitely something we're, we're doing more and more research in. So, so I've been involved 
in a society dedicated to rare genitalia cancers over the last year and a half. And really, uh, what we really felt was that um, across the world, there's a lot of great doctors, a lot of great clinicians, but there are certain conditions which, unfortunately, they're not seen with high frequency. And what happens because of that is patients are not necessarily getting the best quality or evidence-based type care. And one of the areas we've been focused on are genetic-related cancers, meaning cancers that could be passed on or have some sort of genetic predisposition to them. And Lynch is a, is a perfect example where we know patients, for example, can get colon cancer, can get various types of Ding. cancer. Ding, yeah. Sometimes physicians forget to ask or to sort of screen and think, well, is this part of a bigger thing where someone is predisposed to certain types of cancers? And you can have various types of genetic abnormalities that can pop up. And, you know, there are some things called splice variants or other, which basically means that the, the genetic material is just abnormal in a certain kind of way. And because of that, it's like, I look at it like paper mills is if the paper mills has a problem with it and you start producing a lot of paper, then the paper is going to have that, that flaw or go through and through and through. And then and you're going to ultimately have abnormal looking paper or abnormal genetic material. And that predisposes you to getting cancers. And Lynch is a, is a good example where as a urologist, as a special, we haven't done a really good job thinking of, Hey, is this part of someone has a certain type of, of cancer of the lining of the kidney and ureter or potentially of the bladder as well? Is this part of a bigger thing where they're predisposed of getting cancers in other areas? And the critical nature is if you don't think about it and you say, well, I'm just going to do surgery and remove the kidney and the ureter and someone has cancers on the other side, well, you just burned some bridges. That patient may unfortunately at some point require the other kidney removed yeah. and require dialysis. And you may not necessarily be thinking of, uh, of other areas or other organs that could be impacted with that. And so through the society, uh, I've been working with some really great international other people who are dedicated to this. And uh, we've started developing really some review papers. We've been writing on this and advocating that there needs to be a greater role for screening uh, for hereditary uh, conditions like Lynch. And uh, we're trying to develop some standardization on how patients are being evaluated, screened, mm -hmm. and monitored. Uh, one of the most important thing I think I've seen is that, all right, we know the genetic mutations that are associated with it. We know some of them have a higher risk of association, of association with certain types of cancers. But the screening and the surveillance uh, of these is not really very different based on which genetic mutation you have, for example. Hmm. So I think we, we need to sort of be a little bit more uh, tactical in how we screen patients and also that we don't put every patient in the same category in terms of the tests we put them through. We don't need to put people through invasive testing because their risk is low. Let's not do that. But if you're at risk, at a high risk, let's sort of make sure we're following you very carefully and monitoring you. And also, I think the opportunities that I see with this is that with research and science today, we're able to sort of know and target these genetic mutations. So this is a perfect area where I think new medical treatments are really at, have a great promising opportunity to, to improve the, the care of patients and potentially cure a lot of patients. Are you thinking like gene therapy and stuff? Exactly. Are all of them, so is all Lynch, I think mine's an MSH2 and MSH6 abnormality. Are all Lynch both of those? What 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 qualifies it as Lynch? It's one of the mutations. So you, you mentioned MSH2, uh, MS, uh, MLH1, uh, and, uh, and so you can have one of the mutations, you can have both of the mutations. And, uh, and so 
it's it's important to know that you need to screen for all those three of those mutations that are present. And uh, and based on that, we're understanding that uh, the uh, penetration in terms of which cancers you may develop are, are very different. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, if you have a relative that has one type of mutation, it's potential you may have the same type of mutation as well. So it's really important to really look at this. And the way we do it now in most clinics is that, you know, if I see a young patient with a certain type of, of cancer, like a, of the lining, I automatically send them for genetic screening. Smart. Now, yeah. the big thing with genetic screening is I always tell them, you know, it's definitely beneficial to get screened for a cancer, but there's a lot of implications of being screened for cancer. Meaning if you have this, you just need to be ready of accepting there's additional testing you may have. And a lot of the psychosocial effect that, oh, then you may have to think, are my, you know, are my siblings at risk and that type of thing. And I really think it's, it's important to under know it's not, it's more than just a simple test. Sometimes it's yeah. the right thing to do, but you just need to know that, that it may bring on a bunch of other things you may have not thought about. Yeah. Like my kids, um, the first two are old enough and they've been tested and they're Lynch negative, which is great. And as the others get older, they'll be tested as well. But it's, it's just, it's something you have to think about. And we're pretty sure it came through my dad's family line. Cause if you look at the cancers that occur in my dad's siblings, his cousin, et cetera, you know, you've got uterine ovarian cancer, some cervical cancer, you've got, uh, you know, like mine, my colon cancer and, and all that stuff. So it's interesting to see how it, how it falls in families. And gratefully that so far we don't have it the next generation in ours, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a consideration because it's, I always tell people, because this is what I was told, it's not, Lynch is not necessarily a death sentence or that you're going to get cancer, but it means you need to be screening on a much more regular basis than the general population. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that what I think we could do better as an institution, uh, and I'm not just saying my institution, but I think as institutions is making it a little easier for patients to be screened, meaning you shouldn't have to sort of ask around or shop around where to go and sort of, we should bring that type of care and service to the patient. So if like we, once you qualify, here's a protocol. Yeah, exactly. We say, boom, 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 boom. you need to be seen. We're going to coordinate. If we can make a patient come on a given day and have the tests, avoid repeating tests that are not needed. I think that's very beneficial and we should sort of do that and offer it to our patients. And along with that is then we're able to integrate the research and the mm-hmm new treatments in that approach. And is this, are these protocols and things, uh, part of what the organization you helped found is doing setting this up? Yeah, that's what exactly what we're working on right now. Uh, there's an initiative with an institution I work with in Italy that does a lot of research in this area. And we're trying to develop protocols across our institutions and develop really, although there are some really excellent patient advocacy groups dedicated to Lynch, work with them afterwards to try to encourage, advocate, and and promote these types of initiatives. Yeah. So that people know what they're getting into kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Okay. That, this is a total aside, but it's so cool because last time, okay, when I was there for surgery a few weeks ago, we were taught, we just started talking, asked him to be on the podcast and he's like, yeah. And he started talking about Lynch and I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be great. NPS, he's doing research with somebody in Italy in Milan, which is where Kevin, I want to be part of the year once our kids are all launched. So that was like, that was like I will, perfect. I will definitely send you over to see my buddies and my colleagues over there. They're a wonderful group. Well, and Kev's fluent in Italian. I'm not as fluent, but he can get all the, the stuff I don't get. Um, 
What are some things you wish patients knew? We talked a little bit about this, but knew ahead of time about um, Lynch or about genitourinary cancers, either of those things. Yeah, I think it's important to know that, you know, having a cancer diagnosis is associated obviously with a lot of fears, a lot of, of apprehension, you know, cancer we associate with a death sentence. Lynch by mm-hmm. itself is not necessarily that. It just means that if you have that predisposition, you're going to need to be monitored and followed for a, a significant period of time. And it's important that you know if you have a diagnosis like this, you know, there's some wonderful doctors, but you probably want to be treated at a place where they've seen patients with your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. They have some some level of standardization. They know to avoid doing radical treatment if they can avoid it, understanding you may have a risk of having other cancers in the future. And I also tell patients that you also need to be your advocate, meaning if you see blood in your urine, if something's not right, probably there may be something that's wrong. Reach out to you, the, your clinical research team or your clinician and, and, and be checked out. You know, that's what we're here for is, is to meet the needs of our patients. And, uh, and so, uh, never, uh, never feel like you're a burden or that you can't, I think, I, I think that's, that's ultimately what, what their, your healthcare team and your, and your clinicians are there uh, to do. For sure. And no one, it's, it's nice because no one ever makes me feel stupid when I ask a question. Usually Which if you ask a awesome. question, probably many people have asked that same question or should have asked that question. Yeah, no, it's, it makes me feel a lot better. Um, what is this line of work and study taught about? Taught you about yourself, about life, about medicine, about whatever. What have you learned? Um, like, what have you yeah. learned? That's pretty all-encompassing. But I mean, what are some of your top couple of takeaways? So this is a this is a personal um, viewpoint. Is that my view about science, research, medicine uh, has been that I think we've been given a lot of tools on how to follow and how to care for our patients, but it's important to continue to strive to do more. So. I would tell you that that's sort of led why I do and others have done research in this area is we clearly know that the, the standards we've established for caring for our patients are good. They're not perfect and they could be better. And so uh, I found myself that I, I've identified that I want to do more and that the status quo is not good enough. Yeah. I mean, thanks. Cause that's how, that's how people like me are going to get live longer, healthier lives. So thank you. Um, any other, we've talked about some of them already, but tips and tricks for patients. What about somebody, for example, a first timer, not somebody like me, somebody first timer comes in and gets diagnosed with a urothelial carcinoma like I did. I think it's important to know it's very overwhelming when you come in a hospital, particularly when you come in a cancer hospital. So obviously come, uh, record the conversations it's never insulting. Come with people that will be there with you that can help you understand. You know, when we all go in a room and we're sort of hit with a lot of information, we can't process everything. And so uh, take the time to, to ask the questions that you feel are critical for you. Maybe at, write down what questions you may have ahead of your visits. It's never wrong to reach out to the clinical team to answer your questions after those visits. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel comfortable with treatments, diagnose, you know, whatever is being offered to you, ask. And, and it's never wrong to ask for a second opinion, to be honest with you. I, you know, back in the day, we used to, a clinic, you know, when you're a young doctor, you get salty if someone's going for a second opinion. I encourage my patients to go for a second opinion. I want you to feel comfortable with what I'm offering you as a treatment. Uh, it, it, it just allows me to, that you feel reassured that you're getting the best quality care. 
And so uh, it really is important that you also read around your diagnosis or what you're being told, that you feel you can be your best advocate for your care and how you're being managed. Yeah. And I think it's part of that asking question is to understand, to be able to understand what's going on and not just kind of exist in that fog. Um, Okay. Last two quick questions. Uh, What are a couple of personal bucket list items you've still got? And they, they don't even have to be related to medicine. They can be, but they don't have to. In a COVID world, my bucket list is to travel. <laughs> That's everybody's bucket list. Oh, man. I, I, I tell people oh. all the time, one of the great things about doing research and speaking internationally has been to visit some incredible places around the world. It just feels like that's uh, not happened in recent years. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to traveling, hopefully with my family. Uh, and uh, like we're talking, hopefully seeing my family uh, who's in Canada still haven't seen in a long, long time. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I saw my mom for the first time in, I don't know, 18 Are months. Did you freeze? Uh, probably. Are you? St- I can still hear you, though. I'm still here. I could probably answer the last question. So I, favorite place to be? Mm. Wow. So at this point, I'm homesick. So I definitely miss my family in Montreal, Canada, which I'm originally from. But like you, I am a very big, big, big fan of Italy. I love Italy. It's probably my favorite country in the world. So uh, I can't wait to go back to Italy. My favorite place over there, I've been to uh, Florence. I love a lot, but I love uh, the island of Capri and Santa Margarita. Oh, I haven't been yet. I haven't been yet. It's gorgeous. It's just so isolated. It's beautiful, beautiful beaches. The food's amazing. Uh, That's just off Positano, right? Yeah, you have to go. I've been twice, and both times I said to myself, this is it. You know, Mykonos is pretty, Athens is pretty, and everything else. But I'm like, Capri, I think, is the ultimate place. Okay. I'll put it on our list, because I'm serious. Once our kids are launched a few months of the year, I already talked to work. We want to live over there. They're like, that's fine. I want a postcard. No, just come visit. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll probably be in Liguria, so between France and, and Milan. I love it. It's pretty. You know, well, talking, my cousin is in Lake Como right now. Shut up. And uh, we went down. Yeah, he he's French, but he's over there. He sent me some pictures from over there. I was like, oh, I went there. We did a cool road trip a couple of years ago. Went from Switzerland into Lake Como. And Lake Como is beautiful, too. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Kev said it's lovely. I haven't been there yet, but he, he's been there before and loves it. Well, I know your time's short. So just thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's my I don't pleasure. know. It's just, and and I think it also humanizes the medical community when people see that people are real people, you know, Yeah. trying to help. I love doing this. It's fun. Thank you. See why I like Dr. Spies? I'm also really grateful for the work that he and his team are doing on Lynch syndrome and to hopefully make things better for people with Lynch as time goes on. When you hear people talk about the medical community and say things like they're only in it for the money, I just shake my head because my people, my doctors, like Dr. Spies, Dr. Broll, Dr. Nagavi, nurses like Lori Thompson, they are all wonderful people who work really, really hard to make life better for those of us going through something really difficult. This week, I would hope that you'd do the same. Do something nice for somebody else, count your blessings, look for the good, and make it a great week. Thanks for listening.